Well, welcome back, church. We are continuing our series this week of New Day, New Way of Living. And I feel like this is the perfect time uh, for us as a church to be moving into this where there's so much disruption to what we would call the normal life. And as we move into what we're going to call the new normal, uh, I feel like it's like a God-ordained season that we are talking about this new way of living. And Um, We're all posting on our Instagram about how we're doing exercises, we're learning new skills, we're baking amazing sourdough, Uh, but I have yet to see anyone uh, working on their mind. And that's what I want to talk a little bit just for a moment today about um, new day, new mind. And I know that it's so easy to roll your eyes as soon as you hear anything about mindfulness or meditation, and you can either think that it's not scientific and easily switch off or you can think that it's non-scriptural and you can just instantly switch off but i just want to um, appeal to the cynics and uh, say that you're very welcome here but for this message today i just want us all to be able to put on our like bifocal lenses you know i want to be able to look at these things um, through a, a scriptural sense of understanding and a scientific understanding because the more we learn about science the more we learn that it actually complements scripture and confirms scripture it doesn't it doesn't contradict it and that's a really kind of dangerous path for us as christians to get into so uh, i'm going to start by reading from deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 19 and it says today i have given you the choice between life and death between blessings and curses now i call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make oh that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live And this scripture actually supports what science says, that there is actually infinitely more power of our thoughts or that we can choose our own thoughts so we actually give them credit for. It's so easy for us to think that the way we think and the way we feel and the way we process emotions is just kind of this product of um, our situation and things that are coming at us and uh, circumstances and things like that. But both science and scripture says that we have this choice between life and death. And I feel like reading it at first you would think who who would be choosing death in that situation but just like eve chose to eat the fruit we choose sin and we choose death every single day in how we talk what we consume what we think how we act it's almost like in our culture and especially western culture we're kind of wired just to choose sin by default and in psychology there are actually these two main kind of schools of happiness you know and they both are important into uh, they're both important in determining our well-being and building our well-being and the first one is called hedonic happiness and it's the search for those kind of tangible pleasures or that gratifying happiness you know that um we just kind of find ourselves in western culture to just be drenched in it it is the most important thing for us to have the new car and the perfect appearance and great friends and great skills and this picture perfect kind of instagram feed of life hedonic pleasure is kind of like the fast food of happiness you know it kind of feels good at the time and it feels really gratifying but it's never going to actually nourish us and it's never actually going to fuel us and strengthen us in the same way as kind of like a good nutritious meal would and that good nutritious meal in psychology world is called eudaimonic happiness and i'm careful in how i say that because i think that it's actually pronounced more like eudaimonic happiness but i just wanted to clarify that that's not what i'm talking about without it being on the screen but that kind of happiness is achieved through that 
um, deep sense of feeling um, like we have meaning and we have a sense of purpose. And we know that scripture says that that kind of comes uh, from living in relationship with the Father and with a knowledge of our Creator. Um, and so that is the one that kind of gets so easily deprived in society when we're all over consuming what we want, 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 and not kind of acknowledging this deeper need. And that's, that's the part of our brain that um, things like depression and anxiety and effects from trauma kind of sit dormant in and aren't so much affected by this overarching hedonic happiness. Uh, and the way I kind of view it or the way I want to explain it is that Jack and I recently moved house and in the block right next door, there is this humongous, like beautiful gum tree. And it kind of has like these big, like arm like branches and over the top is just draped this like beautiful vine kind of thing with these purple flowers all through it. And I just love it. And it looks like this fairy tale tree. Um, but now what I actually know, because Jack told me and then I fact checked him with an agriculturist I know, but it's actually lantana and lantana is this kind of vicious weed that was introduced from England because it looks so beautiful with the purple flowers. But good news is it's not going to ruin our fence or decay our house. But what it does do is because it's so fast growing and so overwhelming that it actually is like murdering the beautiful gum tree underneath. It just kind of um, strangles it and decays it and is um, surprisingly brutally vicious for this like beautiful vine-like plant. Um, and that is the same way that I kind of see, see this hedonic versus eudaimonic happiness, that they coexist in our mind and we live in a world or in a culture that is constantly pushing us to crave and seek and chase that that and long for that hedonic happiness that can just drape over the top and look so beautiful that we do not even notice that our eudaimonic side or that search for meaning is so depleted and we're so longing for a relationship with the father but it's just overrun by this loud demand of these um, our beautiful and easy on the eyes kind of lifestyle that we live um, but I feel like maybe the, the forces of the world have done such a good job of just creating so many things and so many noises and so much um, stuff that we're consuming that we don't even notice that underneath there we are in this slow emotional and spiritual decay that um, you cannot see from this beautiful perfect facade of the greenery and the purple flowers and things like that but inside there's so much hurt and there's so much brokenness and there's so much going on on in the undercurrent of our life that we can't be impactful as individuals and we can't be impactful as the church so that's what i want to kind of touch on today and see what scripture says about it and how we can actually um, push into this new day and this new mindset uh, from what god is saying in the bible i think it is interesting to know that even in this time of isolation you look around around you on social media or at your own life and you can kind of see we should be slowing down right now but we are almost so afraid of stillness and so afraid to sit in our own thoughts that we just still are filling ourselves not so much with work and social commitments and meetings and sports and all of that but we're sitting on our phones we're listening to podcasts we're watching netflix posting our home home workouts, we're baking the cookies, we're riding the bikes, we're reading conspiracies. And all this is doing is just distracting us from that fear of stillness. 
It's almost like we avoid these quiet moments because the discomfort of sitting in a position where we can actually acknowledge and see that spiritual starvation, it kind of frightens us so much that we haven't even realized that we, have had a, we haven't had a proper meal or any spiritual nourishing for years. We've just settled with this cheap and easy alternative. The end half of that scripture from Deuteronomy that I read before, it says, Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. And that's what we need, church. We need to be a people that chooses life. And like I said before, to impact the world as a church, we have to be different as individuals from the rest of the culture. We need to be able to defy these trends that say mental health conditions are rising. The trends that say one in four people will experience depression or anxiety in adulthood and that we would choose life not just for us but for our descendants. You know, the leading cause of death for our young Australians is them taking their own life. But they are a generation with more access to stuff available to them than ever before and yet they are the ones with spiritual and emotional decay underneath all of the things and all of the busyness. We have this culture, young and old, that is just has this beauty draped all over it. But underneath, we are just a decaying culture because we have broken relationships with our creator. Romans 12 verse 2 says, Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing his good, pleasing and perfect will. And Paul is telling us here, black and white, do not be like everyone else. We are called to be different church. We choose life. Instead of being ever, like everyone else, we are transformed. But Paul says in order to be transformed, we have to have our minds renewed. And to have our minds renewed, we need to slow down this kind of chaotic highway of our brain. And we need to make time in every single day to stop the traffic and practice stillness. Because when it, whether you like it or not, every single day is just completely out of your control. But the thoughts and your mindset and your decisions you make internally are in your control. And we have the option to choose death or life. And when we are, are focusing on the Bible and fixing our eyes on Jesus, that is us choosing life. And when the psalmist says in the Bible, he says, be still and know that I am God. We are actively laying down the foundations for that day. That the thoughts that come at us will be driving down on a foundation that says, my God is God in this moment. My God is, is the God in this, in this life. And learning the art of being still means that we can, like Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he said, we can take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. But you can't even identify a thought if you can't sit in your own thoughts for even a moment, which when we look at ourselves and we look at our society, you can see that that is so evident that we are so obsessed with being busy and we are so obsessed with being with doing things that we cannot sit still in a moment to hold a, a thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. So this is just kind of like a small change to include in this new way of living, right? Learning the art of stillness and when we learn to be still, to be mindful and meditate on his word, the Bible says in Psalm 1 that we will be blessed. We will be like a person, 
like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever we do will prosper. And now I feel like that sounds way more appealing than a decaying mind under this um, good looking facade of the purple flowers. So what does this look like in a practical action kind of thing? Well, again, if you're if you're more inclined to roll your eyes at mindfulness or meditation, remember that science and scripture, we've got our bifocal lenses on, both say that it will change the way we behave, the way we act, the way um, our effectiveness at work, it will change our weight management, it will change our emotional relationships, um, the way we respond in conflict, the way we can um, restore from trauma. And neuroscience tells us that a simple meditation planned, actioned every day is actually enough for us to help us manage all of those things, increase our resilience, increase our decision-making, um, our emotional management, and which all of these things is roughly translated as the scripture saying, you're like a tree planted by still waters. It means that anything can kind of come at us or we can go through anything, yet still our roots are planted deeply and nothing is affecting us or decaying us or making us um, fall over the edge. Um, and that is the way that we are called to not conform to the patterns of this world. When we're planted in the word, unaffected by our circumstances, we are holding firm to our foundations. And there is nothing more countercultural than a person going through adversity or great trouble and still having a peace that surpasses understanding. And Jesus said to us in John 14, 27, he said, it's peace I leave with you. My peace I give you, I do not give you as the world gives. Not fleeting, not for a moment, not here and then there. So he says, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And I don't want to leave you today with kind of just this like big chunk of knowledge and um, or all of this information with nothing to do with it because I feel like so easily then it's do you just put it in the too hard basket or like I'll renew my mind and I'll be transformed right next to running a half marathon or right next to my next isolation project or whatever. But I just want to give you three really simple steps how to, um, how to start using meditation in your everyday and how to um, learn to still your mind as a discipline. And the first one is just to ask the Holy Spirit to help you every single day. This doesn't need to be theatrical. This doesn't need to be big. You don't need to tell everyone that you're doing it. Even if you're cynical, you can do this one. You can just say, Holy Spirit, would you help me today to meditate on your word, to learn to be still in your presence and know that you are God. And that is all it needs to take. You can say it when you're rolling out of bed, when you're brushing your teeth, anything. But that is the number one step that you have to do to be able to use this as a discipline. And the second one is the most practical one. And it's just to focus on one scripture or one thought. You say it, internalize it, think it through and sit with it, chew it. And when you, when you notice your mind wandering or you notice that you become agitated, you remember that that's not because you're meditating, you're only noticing it because you're meditating. And do whatever feels manageable to you. Most studies kind of show that there's significant results after 10 minutes a day, but if you can only manage five or you can manage three, maybe just start with that. Um, and then you can maybe grow if you feel inclined. And then the third one is to commit to it. And I feel passionate about saying this because no one is going to send you a text every day. You're not gonna get a Bible plan reminder. You're not gonna get 
anyone checking in with you about this, but this is your spiritual walk. This is your deep-seated understanding. This is your eudaimonic happiness. This is for you and your righteousness with God. And I, I implore you, even especially if there is um, trauma in your background or you're fighting with um, anxiety or depression or you have panic attacks or there's things that trigger you that you cannot control, this is your opportunity to... Um, harness it to take what science and scripture says and start to start to be transformed in a really practical way by having your mind renewed by your great creator and hebrews 12 11 says no discipline seems pleasant at the time all gym goers say amen but painful later on however it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it and this is just like any other discipline that you do you strengthen your muscles in your body you strengthen your discipline that with your um, attention span. And just like that, you can start to sit in the word for five minutes and you can start to see your mind be renewed and your life be transformed. And you can start to take those thoughts captive that say lies to you about who you are or what you're worth. And you can actually hold them um, to be obedient to what Christ says. And lastly, I just want to encourage you to choose life. As simple as that, what the scripture says. We have been given this crazy, complex gift of free will that often I feel like was a mistake giving it to us, but it actually means that we can choose and we can direct our own thoughts. And that power actually lays with us to um, direct these neuro pathways and things like that. But it is liberating, but it can also be so dangerous. We need to choose healthy foods. We choose our words. We choose our ethics and it's all up to us. And when we can choose to focus on ourselves, on serving us, looking out for number one, being the best version of ourselves, instead we choose life and we look to Jesus who says, serve others before yourself. And in that way, he kind of presents this upside down kingdom that we all enter when we start following him. And it means that as our mind is renewed, we're not transformed to just be the best version of ourselves. We're transformed into citizen of this upside down kingdom. And Jesus describes it on the Sermon of the Mount and all through his ministry. In fact, it was the central theme of his whole life, really, and the whole reason as to why he came. Up until Jesus, we kind of saw God as this deity that we would never be able to live up to. And we would need to tirelessly serve and make sacrifices and strive and um, always feel like we were falling short. But when God said to us, choose life. He also sent us the way to life. And that's the only way to get right to get right with God, to truly harness that eudaimonic happiness. And it's through living, with, living right with the Father. And the only way to the Father is through our perfect sacrifice, the sacrifice that none of us could afford, but the one that Jesus was willing to pay, the one that cast out all sin from our lives so that we could live in perfect union with God. And let me reread the scripture that I opened with and say, Oh, that you would choose life so that you might live. And Jesus says that he has come so that we might have life and life to the full. And if this is your first time seeking that this morning, wherever you are, then I encourage you to meditate on that, that concept and that scripture over the next two weeks. And I will pray for you to close. But uh, my prayer for us in this next two weeks and in, in this next season where we are transforming and we are picking up what looks like the new normal, 
My prayer is that we will all be transformed, that our minds will be renewed, that we would not conform to the patterns of this world and we would be bold enough to choose life in every day and in every situation. So would you join with me in prayer? Lord, we're just so thankful that not only have you told us to choose life, God, but you are the way to life. That uh, through your sacrifice and your salvation, you have opened the scriptures to us and you have invited us into the way uh, of being transformed according to your perfect will, Lord. I just pray that um, we would be able to have the encouragement and the discipline by your Holy Spirit over the next two weeks and be able to take scriptures and be able to take thoughts and start to transform our mind in a way that uh, will allow you to minister deep into us, God, that we would be able to sit with the discomfort of past traumas and we would be able to sit in the discomfort of mental health issues, Lord, and we could hold your word up against it and start to take thoughts captive and make them obedient to the word of God. Uh, I know that this is an audacious claim to make, Lord, in a world that is um, busy and we are marked by what we do and not who we are, God. But I just pray that we would never conform to the patterns of this world, but always by the value by which you have called us. And we pray in your precious, mighty and saving name of Jesus. Amen.